0: Broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage. No more drug war. You know, it's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. On this holiday edition, our guest will be Roman Catholic priest, Father Joseph Gansel. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical Banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. We're going to have Father Gansel in here in just a moment, but uh, I, I wanted to point out that earlier today on the Cultural Baggage, excuse me, the Century of Lies program, we had the Reverend Eddie Lepp talking about his concerns. Uh, his situation, the DEA just dropped charges on him for the largest marijuana bust ever. And perhaps uh, Father Gansel and I can talk about that. But if you'd like to hear more of that program, I urge you to visit our website, drugtruth.net, and select the uh, Century of Lies program for December 15th. And I guess with that, let's do go ahead and bring in our guest, Father Joseph Gansel. Father Gansel? Yeah, good evening, Dean. Uh, hello sir, it's good to hear your voice again. Good to be on your show again. Yeah, thank you sir. Yeah. Um I want to kind of more formally introduce you. He is uh, uh, Father Joseph Gansel. He founded and ran the Interfaith Drug Policy Initiative's predecessor organization, Religious Leaders for a Moral Drug Policy, in the uh, early 1990s. He's a, a Catholic priest, currently serves on the advisory board of the Action Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I believe that's still true, right, sir? Well, uh, I, uh, I'm on the advisory board. Yes, yeah, yeah, sir. And, and uh, Father Gansel also founded a drug treatment program and served as its CEO for 25 years. So he has had his time in the trenches of the drug war. And, and I want to uh, especially welcome you at this uh, holiday season, sir. Well, thanks very much. Uh, uh, Father Gansel, um, you're, you're still working, uh, perhaps not full-time employed as a priest. Um, you're semi-retired, is that right?
1: Yeah, I'm officially retired, but that means that I can do anything I want. And there's plenty of call for for priestly activities, so I'm constantly <laughs> doing one thing or the other.
0: Yes, sir. And um, if you will, just kind of summarize, I, I guess, uh, your your uh, work as a priest.
1: Well, for instance, I say mass at the cathedral here on Sundays. And uh, when priests, other priests in the diocese need help, a lot of times they'll call the uh Priory where I live, and ask our superior can he supply some uh, men for the work? And then he'll call different priests and ask them if we can do it. So I'm constantly, you know, helping out other priests.
0: Well, and, and that's wonderful news, sir. i yeah. i As I understand it, uh, you have, through your life's experience, through your life's work, um, been exposed to many people who take drugs who right. have problems with drugs and 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 right. perhaps seeking treatment for that drug use let's yeah. talk about that experience sir
1: yeah well that started way back in 1969 when uh i was in a parish in denver and a lot of the parents would bring in their children and say the person has a drug problem so i would recommend the usual drug rehabilitation institutions around town and almost all the time the parents would say, well, you know, he's been there. He's been in that, like, uh, Synonon and Sinecure and Crispus Attics and uh, all these others. So I soon realized that these, these, uh, these programs weren't working. So I asked, some older alcoholics if they thought the 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous would work with drug users. And they said, oh, yeah, sure, sure certainly will. So we, uh, They had all kinds of contacts, of course, inside Alcoholics Anonymous. So we just got five young guys because we knew the younger fellows take drugs and alcohol interchangeably. And they have no prejudice against it, even though the alcoholics sometimes have prejudice against drugs and drug users. So we just started out with a few of the fellows who already knew the program from Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's how we started our first group of uh, NA, Narcotics Abusers Anonymous.
0: And I wanted to ask uh, your observation. Yeah. Uh, many times we hear the you know police invested three months, six months, two years investigating a uh, a street corner or you know a vending operation for drugs in their city, and they bring down the uh, the the street corner vendors. They seldom get those at the top. Yeah. But um, your thoughts, sir. I mean, uh, your observation has have you noted times when prison time was the answer for the the, those drug users and sellers
1: no no sir the universal experience of all the fellows we rehabilitated and there were many uh was that the jail didn't do any good at all because a lot of them had been in jail already before we picked them up you know they got arrested on drug use or drug possession or something like that but it was uh universally bad for them because it cut off their young life and put them in with a criminals real criminals and uh, of course the jails were filled with drugs because the the guards would bring in the drugs for the prisoners so there's more drugs per square inch in jails than outside it was a totally controlled government environment right yes sir and the whole thing was ridiculous and so the kids didn't learn anything in there in jail except maybe how to uh, try to avoid getting caught but they only learned criminal behavior and, uh, <clears throat> nothing much else. And it, it ruins, a lot of times it ruins their life because they come out with a, a record of being a jailbird, which does not ha- help them get jobs. And besides that, they're not uh, learning any skills in jail to get jobs. So they're very well handicapped. Yes, sir. Um, and the, of course, this puts a very bitter um, attitude they
0: have towards government
1: and know, and in jail.
0: <clears throat> I, I think often of the the situation being. Quite the antithesis, the the opposite, uh, achieving the opposite goals of of what we seek.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, no doubt about that.
0: And um, as I understand it, sir, you you did spend some time outside the United States earlier today. We talked about the fact that uh, you had been to Brazil, and and I want to talk about the the international implications. Uh, Some uh, two decades ago, uh, leading uh, to one decade ago, Colombia uh, had. Uh, multiple uh, bombings and assassinations, beheadings, and so forth. And they still have thousands of deaths in Colombia each year, don't get me wrong. But that that war has now moved up into Mexico, where police chiefs are shot out of the saddle uh, almost on a weekly basis. And, again, the beheadings and bodies burning in, in trunks, it's moving closer to our shores, is it not?
1: Uh, well, that's, I, I thought it was always close to our shore. It might be the... Uh <coughs> publicity is better now but it always was uh, pretty close to our shore of Mexico but actually the drug trade uh, destroyed a beautiful government in uh, Colombia because the guys who produced the the drugs could make a lot of money and the United States insisted that Colombia stamp out this this uh, Trade, which of course I could not do because too much money involved, and it, the, the reason there's so much money is because it's illegal. You know, because the, for instance, cocaine is 2,000 times more expensive here than in Colombia. So it's just too much money, and um, <clears throat> of course, it, it didn't stop the flow uh, of drugs at all because the more fellows we arrested and uh, the more drugs we confiscated or always just taking. Uh, Take, their place was taken just by other people in the, uh, in the business because it's a very lucrative business. But in the meantime, it destroyed the the government of Colombia because the bad guys got so strong they could kill judges and, and, uh, and intimidate people and murder people right and left and bribe because they have so much money they could bribe anybody. Well, it's, it's horrible what they did to Colombia. Not in Colombia, but this goes for Ecuador, Peru, and Bolivia. They've destroyed those nations as a decent operating nations, because mostly they're just subject to us and do exactly what we want, whether they want to or not. And it's no, it's, it's kind of completely uh, futile the battle because there's just too much money involved.
0: Yeah, absolutely, sir. Now we we also spoke earlier today about uh, I don't know religious morality, how it is used as a bludgeon, perhaps. Uh, in this drug war, that, that those in power um, tend to say this is done for a moral reason, and yet I, I can 't think of anything more immoral than, than this drug war. Your thoughts on that, sir?
1: Well, they I, I hardly ever hear them say, <laughs> say that, you know Well,
0: uh, Bill They'll Bennett build. for one, uh, John oh, Walter yeah. speaks of it.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> then Bennett, Bennett was a complete loser. What Bennett did, as you probably know, is declared if they confiscated so many millions pounds of drugs and arrested so many drug dealers the war was over, so that's what they did and he declared he won. The whole thing was ridiculous. Of course he 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 takes a very high moral stand. But there's no morality in it because a person I mean from Catholic moral teaching a person can use drugs if they don't abuse them, just like they can use alcohol without abusing it. And that you never hear that mentioned, you see, and of course a lot of the non Catholic Christians don't go for that you know they don't, they don't believe that you can use uh, drugs or alcohol morally but uh, according to catholics we can well, and, and do and that's why when they try to take a uh, moral stand we just have to laugh at them anybody who knows catholic doctrine
0: now father gansel um... You know, I I think of, uh, you know, I've been at this about 10 years, you are what I consider one of the pioneers, those uh, first willing to stand up and boldly speak of the need for change. Yeah. And, and I just wonder, uh, wanted to get your perspective, uh, what you've seen over the decades, uh, are, are we making progress, sir?
1: The only progress I see, Dean, is that most of the people now, who are getting older, have, have uh, either used drugs themselves or been around people who use them. And they see that the harmful effects are not horrible as the government was trying to tell us. You know, they kind of laugh, but they know there's certain types that are addictive. And those poor p- people, you know, have real trouble with drugs, but that's because they have an addictive personality. But they themselves and, and their friends, you know, have used drugs, and they don't see any, anything particularly uh, harmful about it.
0: Well, the, over the years of this drug war, I, I think perhaps dating back to the beginning, it's been about for the children, you know. The, yeah, that's the claim. The, that, that's the mantra, I suppose. And, yeah. and And yet, it is the black market, the world's largest multi-level marketing organization that's out there enticing our children. We insist that right. black market exists. Y- your thoughts, sir?
1: If it wasn't for the drug war, most of our children would never use drugs. And I'll tell you, through personal experience, early on, in the early 70s, there was a fella in Littleton, Colorado, just when drug use is really increasing down there. And the city council heard about this fella who, uh, who was supposed to know a lot about drugs. So they called him into the city council, and I was there at the time. They invited me for some reason. And he said to them, well, when I was 13 years old, somebody introduced me to marijuana. And uh, I didn't like it too much. But I said, to them, how do you pay for this stuff? They said, well, you just split up what you buy and sell it to somebody else. So this fellow was a free enterpriser, <laughs> a keen business sense. He just started selling drugs. In no time at all, he was making 300 a week. This is when he was 13 years old. When He kept, he kept it up when he went to Littleton High and, uh, mm-hmm. and even after he graduated. And the the flow of drugs was so heavy in his direction that the mafia noticed it. You know, I guess they noticed the flow of drugs, and then they moved in on him and said, now, from now on, we're going to be your supplier. Well, that kind of scared him, so he got out of the business. But by this time, he's retired for life. (laughs) He had so much money. And he told that city council, I myself turned on 2,000 kids from Littleton High. And some of them were your children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here you you figured, you know, why don't you just multiply this guy, say by a thousand? You got two million kids, right?
0: Yeah, and and, it's... and
1: the motive was money,
0: money, nothing else. Well, you now, know, we, each year, I, I've heard it said we spend somewhere between 50 to to $125 billion. Some say it's 69000000000 billion. I'm not certain. But it's a large number. Yeah. And uh, we, we send our police officers out there. They spend millions of man hours looking in trunks and under car seats and right. in ashtrays. Right. And in the meantime, the uh, violent crime rate is going up. Uh, oh, yeah, this
1: doesn't have any dent in that
0: the crime. Uh, and and I, I guess my question, sir, uh, we're, we're wasting those millions of our police right. man-hours right. uh, looking That's for high school Harry's bag of pot, yeah. and in the meantime uh, we've wasted the opportunity and those man-hours to go after the real criminals amongst us. Uh, I, I
1: know it's, it's really a corruption of the whole uh, uh, penal system. The whole thing is wasted. Waste all kinds of money. It's, it's a crime of the first class and people I think a lot of them now are big the ones especially who have been caught up, say smoking marijuana and getting caught they they know w- what a farce this whole thing is, and it's the people who never touched drugs and stayed away from them who don't <laughs> really don't know what what a waste of time this whole thing is, you know, and they change like I say ordinary citizens into criminals, you know just if you possess a little marijuana, you're a criminal yes sir. and they, and most of these fellows are just innocent people that, you know just getting a smoke.
0: Yes, sir. Now, we we got about a minute left. Um, uh-huh. I wanted to just kind of hand that off to you as a Roman Catholic priest to yeah. kind of give us a, a message for this holiday season and perhaps a a better way to look at the drug war.
1: Well, they got they got uh, the, the the problem is really a moral problem, and uh, the 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 one who should take care of the moral problems is the church and the families and supposedly the schools but the public schools are worthless because they're just agents of the government and uh, they're just as mixed up as government is and just as uh, uh, tyrannical and uh, confused but I mean the private schools should be taking care of this problem and when they train the children properly uh, teaching the value of their soul and the value of their mind and how drugs uh, can inhibit the powers of the brain and uh by doing that, of course, ruin the, the the kids' uh, educational career. You know, they would teach them that this is a moral problem, and you guys got to uh, avoid uh, ruining yourself. Avoiding that abuse through drugs. yeah, through yeah. drugs. And and they're the ones who should do it, and they're the ones who have the prestige uh, to tell the kids that. When the when <laughs> when the law enforcement tells them, they laugh at them. You know, I don't know why. I just have a contempt for because I've seen this done. I've seen. Police over and over again come to schools and give a long talk, you know, about this and that and dare people. You know that dare program, and the kids are just laughing at them. You yeah. know, because they don't have they don't have the moral authority where the church, the family, and the school, especially the private school, would have it. And if they took care of that job, there'd be no there'd be no serious problem,
0: actually. Well, very good, uh, Father Joseph Gansel. Thank you once again for joining us on the Cultural Baggage. Oh, you're Show. welcome. All right, thank you, sir. You're welcome. It's time to play Name That Drug by Its Side Effects. Flying projectiles, flu-like symptoms, itching, pain, vomiting, diarrhea, seizures, low blood pressure, may affect heart function and immune response, should not be used by pregnant or breastfeeding women nor by children under the age of 12. Time's up. The answer, mistletoe. The American mistletoe is poisonous, deadly. In fact, the European mistletoe is undergoing clinical trials because it has been shown to kill cancer cells. Welcome to the National Drug Abuse Quiz. Today's
1: question, which drug is least addictive, alcohol, marijuana, or cigarettes? Tom. Alcohol. Nope. Beth. Cigarettes? Wrong. Government-funded research at the National Institute on Drug Abuse says the least addictive drug is marijuana.
2: Surprised? Find out what else the government is hiding. Visit the Marijuana Policy Project Foundation at joinMPP.org or call one 877 join This is Phil Smith of the Drug War Chronicle with this week's corrupt cop stories for the Drug Truth Network. Actually, this week I'll be focusing on dope-dealing prison guards. When people ask about how drugs get into prisons, here's the answer. And you get this kind of scorecard just about every week. In Onslow County, North Carolina, a new Hanover County jail guard was arrested December 7th when he was caught with two pounds of cocaine. Thurston Miles, age 33, went down after a two-month investigation by the State Bureau of Investigation, the Onslow County Sheriff's Office, and the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office. He now faces cocaine distribution charges and was last reported sitting in jail under a $500,000 secured bond. In Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, an Oklahoma County jail guard has been arrested for smuggling marijuana and other contraband into the jail. County Detention Officer Eddie Daniels was busted with a quarter pound of pot and three and a half pounds of tobacco when he reported for work at the jail. Officials also turned up a half pound of pot in the jail they said was linked to Daniels' arrest. Investigators said they believed he had made $5,000 working with an inmate to bring contraband into into the jail. The inmate also faces drug and contraband charges. No word yet on the formal charges Daniels faces. And in Linton, Indiana, a Wabash Valley Correctional Facility officer was arrested December 8th and charged with financing the delivery of methamphetamine. Officer Dustin Ladoon, age 24, was being held without bond. He was arrested after making a deal to sell an 8-ball, that's 3.5 grams, of meth in a Walmart parking lot. But Linton police said they had been investigating him for several months. Correctional Facility officials said Ladoon has been suspended pending the outcome of his trial. And last but not least, in Hutchinson, Kansas, a prison contract worker was sentenced to 15 months in prison for selling meth to prisoners. Joseph Delancey, who worked for the Aramark services at the Hutchinson Correctional Facility, had pleaded guilty to trafficking in contraband in a correctional facility, possession of methamphetamine with intent to sell, and unlawfully arranging a drug sale by a commercial device. He could have received almost five years in prison, but Judge Tim Chambers was apparently moved by his contention that he fell into drug use after the death of his four-year-old son. As always, there are more corrupt cop stories, including actual police officers, this week. Check them out online at www.stopthedrugwar.org. It's all about communication.
3: Earlier this month, the White House Drug Policy Office released results of a survey showing that many parents have a difficult time talking with their children, particularly about drugs. To which any of us who ever had a parent are probably thinking, well, no kidding, Sherlock, what was your first clue? What the drug czar's release did not say was that this is more evidence of the failure of the White House's anti-drug media campaign. That campaign's official purpose was twofold. First, to discourage kids from using drugs, yet also to encourage positive parenting behaviors. We've all seen those ads, parents of the anti-drug. Unfortunately, the czar's office and its lackeys are better at scolding and scaring than they are at helping, encouraging, and supporting. Evaluations of the ONDCP anti-drug media campaign have consistently shown that it fails not only in keeping kids from using drugs, but also in the parenting portion of its mission. What works is simple, at least to explain, and that's communication. On this point, everyone from Columbia University's Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse to the Drug Policy Alliance all agree. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh editor of drugwarfacts.org poppy gate bizarre news about the u.s.
0: policy on controlling heroin featuring glenn greenway during
4: george w bush's presidency afghanistan has become synonymous with opium cultivation and heroin production despite the presence of several tens of thousands of western troops this year the country's opium poppies yielded nearly 700 tons of potential heroin up from less than 20 tons prior to US military engagement enough to completely satisfy and even exceed this year's total world black market demand some eight and one half billion individual doses bowing to congressional demands this week the Pentagon announced plans to reluctantly enter the Afghan drug war and U.S. drug czar John Walters announced plans to begin wholesale poppy eradication next spring by spraying with glyphosate, commonly known as Roundup. However, many experts reason that destroying the livelihoods of already desperately poor Afghan farmers will drive them into the arms of the resurgent Taliban. Taliban extremists, From whom the Bush administration boasts to have liberated Afghanistan have once again become the de facto ruling governance throughout many Afghan provinces. In the country's opium heartland, British forces recently negotiated with and ceded some authority to the Taliban. After a recent peace deal with U.S. ally Pakistan, the Taliban are reported to have set up a virtual mini-state along the borders between the two countries. The Taliban remain as committed to barbarity as they were prior to the U.S. overthrow in 2001. There have been more than 100 suicide bombings in Afghanistan so far this year, up from 17 last year. In November, an Afghan schoolteacher was taken from his family, partially disemboweled, and then drawn and quartered by four Talibs on motorcycles. The 46-year-old teacher had disobeyed Taliban edicts forbidding the education of girls. This is Glenn Greenway reporting for the Drug Truth Network.
0: Terry Nelson spent 32 years serving the U.S. government as a Customs, Border, and Air Interdiction officer. He retired last year as a GS-14, the equivalent of a bird colonel.
5: Now, this is Terry Nelson speaking on behalf of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Drug trafficking is a worldwide problem. The L.A. Times last month reported that more than 10 heavily armed men ambushed a police vehicle on a busy thoroughfare near downtown Tijuana. The wild shootout resulted in the death of one officer and left a flower vendor and a taxi driver injured, Or unintended consequences. A police commander narrowly escaped the attack. But the next morning, gunmen again caught up with the commander, and this time they didn't miss. His handcuffed body was found in an empty lot, disfigured by more than 100 gunshot wounds. He was the 19th Mexican law enforcement officer to be killed this year in Tijuana, Mexico. Many were slain after the August capture of alleged drug lord Francisco Javier Alellano Felix, who many experts believe had triggered a battle for control of the lucrative narcotics trade in the city. Former Mexican president Vicente Fox, in what he called the mother of all battles, sent thousands of federal police to clean up the violent U.S. border town of Nuevo Laredo, Drug-related killings have since increased. Mexico's drug problems have risen to crisis levels as the country's cartels have grown in size and strength in the past five years. In an interview from a Mexico City prison with the Washington Post in 2002, Benjamin Arellano Felix reportedly said, When something is out of reach, it's more interesting to people. If drugs were like cigarettes or alcohol, there wouldn't be a black market it would put an end to the couples. His arrest was supposed to make a difference. It did. It caused more violence. Recently, his brother Francisco was arrested, and it was supposed to make a difference. It did. It caused more violence. One brother was killed in a shootout, and another brother remains active in the cartel. According to various reports, this year there have been more than 2,000 murders linked to drug traffic in Mexico, as well as six journalists murdered for for reporting on the drug gangs, and in the past 10 years, 256 United States police officers have been lost due to drug violence. The violence and problems associated with illegal drugs and the war on drugs affects much more than just the United States. The problem is now global, and more and more countries are desperately seeking alternatives to the current policies. The United Nations will meet again in 2008 to decide the course of them, which course the world should take. We can only hope that reason prevails and the decision to regulate and control these dangerous substances is reached. LEAP believes that drugs are too dangerous to be left in the hands of criminals. It's time to regulate and control them. Let's work together to change this failed public policy and help build a better future for ourselves and our children. This is Terry Nelson at www.leap.cc signing off.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed this holiday edition of Cultural Baggage. I want to send a special shout-out to my good friend and Texas's most bold and effective drug reformer, Clay Jones. He's uh, now in the hospital following surgery. Get well, bud. We need you back out here helping us to change these laws. Uh, Quickly want to note, we uh, picked up two new affiliates, uh, WIUS, Makeham, Illinois, and WCCH of Holyoke, Massachusetts. They'll be... uh, Uh, Joining us in January, I think following the holidays, there's change out there at the station. Uh, I want to thank Father Joseph Gansel for joining us once again on the uh, uh, holiday special. I also want to make note that we're now up to six college and access TV channels carrying the Unvarnished Truth DVD. Hope you'll uh, uh, tune into our website, drugtruth.net. Hook on the uh, video link there, and you can join up with us. Now, in closing, I'll remind you once again that because of prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag the drug truth network listeners around the world and on behalf of engineer philip guffey this is dean becker for cultural baggage and the unvarnished truth the show produced at the pacifica studios of kpft houston and um once again i'm here tap dancing on the edge of an abyss